The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Delta Airlines. Delta has partnered with 55 academic institutions to create a pipeline of the next generation of pilots and technicians. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, December 13th. In today's news, Michael Cohen is sentenced to three years in prison for crimes committed while working for Trump. British Prime Minister Theresa May survives. And 2020 presidential candidates are beginning to announce. But first, the big idea. Nancy Pelosi has clinched the votes needed to become House Speaker after she agreed to step aside by 2022. After weeks of behind-the-scenes negotiating, Pelosi backed off her resistance to setting a date for her departure, but avoided becoming an immediate lame duck. Almost immediately, seven Democratic holdouts announced they will back Pelosi after saying they would not. That means she has the guaranteed support of a majority of the House to get her gavel back on January 3rd. Under the deal, Pelosi will back a three-term limit for the top four House Democratic leaders, with a possible fourth term if Democratic members vote by a two-thirds margin to retain them. The limit would be retroactive, meaning Pelosi, incoming House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, and Majority Whip Jim Clyburn, all of whom held the same posts from 2007 to 2011, would be effectively limited to one, maybe two terms going forward if the policy is adopted. But hurdles remain. The term limit proposal is subject to a vote of House Democrats next year, one that could very well become contentious, with Hoyer and Clyburn expected to oppose it. Also, the limits would not extend to committee chairmen, a proposal that could have sparked political warfare among House Democrats. Trying to get out of town for the holidays, Congress is a hive of activity right now. There is a lot on their plate. Here are a few developments from the Capitol yesterday. The Senate voted 60 to 37 to start debating a measure to end U.S. support of the Saudi-led war in Yemen, a resolution meant to punish the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman for his alleged involvement in the death of Washington Post contributing columnist Jamal Khashoggi. That development sets up a likely vote for Thursday afternoon to pass the resolution. Its passage would be the first time that the Senate has successfully invoked the War Powers Resolution since it became law in 1973. But even if that resolution passes, and we think it will, it's most likely dead on arrival in the House, where lawmakers voted against considering a similar measure recently. The Senate vote on Yemen is the latest example of how senators from both parties are pushing back more forcefully against the iron-fisted leadership of Mitch McConnell. In the final days of the session, the Senate has shaken off some parliamentary and legislative rust to force the Senate majority leader into policy debates that he would have preferred to brush aside. Case in point, Tom Cotton, the Republican from Arkansas, will force a vote on amending the chamber's criminal justice bill later this week, which McConnell is only allowing to come up for a vote under pressure from the White House and the Koch network. There was a bipartisan breakthrough that's worth noting as well. After nearly seven months of negotiations, the House and the Senate reached a deal to overhaul their own policies on handling accusations of sexual harassment. While exact legislative language was not released, the Senate Rules Committee confirmed that lawmakers will now be required to reimburse the Treasury Department for settlements and awards resulting from harassment or retaliation that they commit. Under the current system, settlements are paid for by us, the taxpayers. And that's the big idea. 
Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, a federal judge sentenced Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen, to three years in prison for financial crimes and lying to Congress as the disgraced fixer apologized, but said he felt it was his duty to cover up what he called the dirty deeds of his former boss. Cohen took responsibility for what the judge called a veritable smorgasbord of criminal conduct, crimes that included tax violations, lying to a bank, and during the 2016 campaign, buying the silence of women who claimed that they had had affairs with the future president. The downfall of the hard-charging, high-profile lawyer has potential consequences far beyond Cohen, as authorities have alleged that Trump himself personally directed him to violate campaign finance laws. Facing his day of reckoning, Cohen laid plenty of the blame at the president's feet, and his lawyer said he will continue to cooperate with the ongoing special counsel investigation. Cohen has provided information to investigators about Trump and the Trump campaign, but prosecutors said he has refused to tell them everything he knows. The judge ordered Cohen to begin serving his sentence on March 6th and told him he must pay nearly $2 million in financial penalties related to his fraud and tax evasion. Separately, New York prosecutors announced Wednesday that they had struck a non-prosecution agreement with AMI. That's the company that produces the National Enquirer tabloid. The deal is related to the tabloid's role in squelching stories of women who said they had relationships with Trump. AMI paid $150,000 to one of those women just before the 2016 election. As part of the deal, AMI admitted in a sworn statement that it made that payment principally and in concert with Trump's campaign to, quote, suppress the woman's story so as to prevent it from influencing the election. Number two, British Prime Minister Theresa May has survived a no-confidence vote from her conservative party. May won the party-only vote by 200 to 117, comfortably surpassing the simple majority of 159 votes that she needed to stay in power. But it was hardly a victory. The public brawling and parliamentary challenge by her fellow Tories leaves May a wounded leader. The British Prime Minister is now immune to a leadership challenge by her party for a year but her Brexit deal remains broadly unpopular. In Brussels, May's survival offered some relief to European Union leaders, who have to hope she can hold on and get the Brexit deal approved by Parliament before a March 29 exit deadline. But many countries have sped up emergency preparations, fearing that Britain's political paralysis will lead it to crash out of the EU with no deal. Number three, Julian Castro announced the formation of an exploratory committee as he weighs a certain 2020 bid for president. The 44-year-old former San Antonio mayor and housing and urban development secretary under Barack Obama announced the move in a four-minute video distributed on social media. He also launched a new website to promote his expected candidacy. Castro says he will make a formal announcement in Texas on January 12th about moving forward. Several candidates are expected to formally launch campaigns next month. How huge a field is it going to be for Democrats? Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard from Hawaii said on Hardball last night that she's seriously considering running for president. Others are keeping their options open, like Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy. He told BuzzFeed yesterday that he's not planning to launch a campaign. Asked to say whether he'll run, he replied, I don't have any plans to go to Iowa or New Hampshire. Asked if that means it's a hard no, Murphy replied, I have no plans right now. (laughs) 
And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, December 13th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Hi, I'm Martine Powers, host of Post Reports, a new daily podcast from The Washington Post, with the news, insights, and storytelling that you've come to expect from our newsroom. Check it out now at WashingtonPost.com slash Post Reports.